play action for Kirk from under center. Straight drop. Kirk trying to win it to Thielen. Caught at the five. Cousins, Thielen, 42 on the Saints. Kirk takes the snap. Looks right. Fade left. End zone. And it is caught. Touchdown! Hello, hello, let's go. It's your man, Flip Mozzie, and thank you for joining us for I don't know how long today. I don't really care. All I know is that we are starting the offseason in style with both Matt Anderson and Miles Gorham on the podcast. Really excited to look at what the Vikings have to do to build up to the 2020 season. So here we go. Let's start with Matt. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, guys. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty well. How about you, Miles? I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited to get back into the thing. I know it's been been quiet for a while. Yeah, it's been pretty quiet around here. We've got the unbelievable podcast doing a little postmortem on the Viking season. I think they just covered the defense today after doing the offense on Tuesday. If you have a chance to listen to those podcasts, I really recommend them. It'll be a good way to close out the Vikings year and whet your appetite for what's coming up next. And that's what we're going to talk about. Starting, you know, we just had the Super Bowl on Sunday. It was a great game. There was a lot to take away from the Chiefs victory, 31 to 20 over the 49ers. I know that our friend Matt here was actually at the 49ers game against the Vikings a few weeks back going on to see the 49ers lose in the Super Bowl. I just wanted to get your thoughts, Matt. What did you think about that game? I thought it was a a really awesome game. I mean, I was pulling for the Chiefs since the beginning. So, well, not since the beginning, but since the start of the game. So, to kind of see that comeback and and watch Jimmy Garoppolo kind of falter towards the end there, it it kind of made my heart happy. Oh, there we go. How about you, Miles? What did you think? (laughs) That was cold. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I, I mean, I wanted Casey to win too, but uh, just because I, I, I'm a big Andy Reid fan and I'm a big uh, Patrick Mahomes fan, so I wanted to see them them both get one. Um, but at the same time, I, I just wanted to enter. I wanted a good game. I always want a good game in the Super Bowl, uh, especially when your team's not in it. You know, you want to want to be entertained. So it was a it it uh, held up. It was probably one of the better Super Bowls we've seen in a. In a few years now, I'd say. What? Uh, actually, yeah, what, two years ago, I think the Patriots-Eagles game was a pretty good one, too. Um, but this one was had a little bit of everything. Had good defense, uh, but it also had some um, explosive plays on offense. So quarterbacks, uh, well, Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> uh, but a little bit of everything. So you kind of like to see that. You, it's a, like a, it was probably like a – I bet Mike Zimmer was loving the, that kind of game. The fact that uh, the defense made some key plays, but the – but offenses still were able to kind of move the ball and, and set themselves up for success. So I was really excited just to just to get to watch a good game. That's that's well said. So both of y'all have referenced the Super Bowl MVP, Patrick Mahomes. Why can't we just let's just admit, let's get it out there. Mahomes didn't play that well. And I, I know he was clutch. I know he came back, but can we just talk about how he almost got outplayed by Jimmy Garoppolo, who we all think had a bad game. Did he get outplayed though? Or did he just, I mean, obviously at first there, there were some times where he had to like make some adjustments and it definitely looked like he was a little skittish in the pocket, but you know, once he kind of figured it out late in the third, uh, into the fourth, I mean, that's kind of what you want in a quarterback, right? Even though you've had prior mistakes that you can overcome those and still lead your team to a victory. I, maybe yeah maybe go but, ahead miles no i was gonna say i i agree with that assessment matt i think i think jimmy started off a little bit better he started, started off a little bit more comfortable but as the game went on and as the pressure started to build you could see the the um the tide the tide turn you saw the pat mahomes that uh that superstardom that you know elite level play take over whereas jimmy garoppolo you saw him kind of I don't want to say crumble because I don't think he crumbled under the pressure, but I definitely think he he was he felt that pressure and it really hurt him and I think it hurt the the Forty ers down the stretch. Um, you could see it by the fact that they wanted to continue to run the ball even in, even when they were down 
or you know trying to keep the lead. At the same time, like I said, Patrick Mahomes, he rose back up to the level that we're we're used to seeing him play at, rather than uh, him crumble. So that that was kind of where I say I have a hard time saying he didn't play well because, like you said, Flip, when it mattered the most, that's when he played his best, and that's what we're used to seeing from Mahomes. So it it kind of it of course it matters, but at the same time it it doesn't even really matter how that first half went for him because the way he finished the game. I'd rather have a bad first half and a good second half than flip that. You know what I mean? Well, um, they always say you quarters. want to be your strongest, your strongest quarter. He had a bad three quarters. I mean, it wasn't just a hey, three and a half quarters. Sure, sure. But I mean, at the same time, like they always say your strongest quarter should be your last quarter. And, and he, he showed that. And I think that's what, that's really what matters here. Um, I agree. It wasn't the greatest game for him, but at the end of the day, when it mattered the most, he, he came in and did what he needed to do. Okay, I don't think I don't it think we're going to agree. To me, it kind of just negated the rest of the game. It didn't really matter. The rest of the the first half didn't really matter. The first three quarters didn't really matter because he, the way he overcame the rest of it, literally in the most important time of the game of the season of his career. So, like like Matt said, that stuff it just doesn't matter. Yeah, I don't think he overcame the rest of it. I think his teammates. His defense, his running back punched above their weight and overcame a bunch of the mistakes he was making earlier in that game. Otherwise, those 10 points would have had them in a much bigger hole than, you know, a a 10 point deficit that they had to dig themselves out of. And he was great digging themselves out of that hole. But for what we're used to, in a from a Super Bowl quarterback from a Super Bowl MVP, I just don't think it matched up to that. Aside from, there was really like one only blatant mistake I think I saw out of Patrick Mahomes, and it was that I think it was the first interception. But other than that, I guess, I guess I don't think it was like super mistake prone quarterback play. No, Obviously, just, we know how good the like defensive Mahomes line level. is. It didn't right. feel like Mahomes level, but at the same time, I don't think he. So like Mahomes in the first three quarters was like what we've we've seen from a lot of good quarterbacks across the league. So maybe it wasn't up to Mahomes standards, but I don't think it was one of those situations where you were like, oh my god, he's god awful. This guy's this guy really maybe this guy doesn't belong because that's just not true. And then again, at the most important times, he came clutch third and fifteen, threw that bomb to Tyree Kill, uh, avoided the pressure. Um, you saw him slide and move around and make make some uh, key throws and, and key situations in that fourth quarter. Um, I think Damian Williams did help um, a lot of that as well. But at the end of the day, Mahomes made the plays, especially on key third, third, fourth down situations that they needed him to make like we're used to seeing. And that's why, to me, I, I don't really care about the rest of it uh, because he – he did it when it mattered mm-hmm. the most. I, I will say, I think a lot of the narrative surrounding the result of that game, obviously the last five minutes is going to carry the most weight in any game, in any comeback like that Super Bowl. But there's also just an urge to have the career narrative tied to performance in Super Bowls. And we all know Pat Mahomes is a great player. We all know he's set to have a great career. So there's hesitance to just point out that that was the first time he threw two interceptions all year. Uh, That was well below his, you know, the metrics, yards per attempt, well below his QBR that he posted during the season. And he even had a better 2018 than he did a 2019. So for Patrick Mahomes, that was a bad game. And it still got him the MVP, I think. Maybe that's like something to be terrified about. Patrick Mahomes can play even better than that, and he still was good enough to be MVP. I agree, for sure. Yeah, well, moving on, you know, when you're watching that game, I just have one more question for y'all. Miles, we can start with you. There is always, being a Vikings fan, things you're trying to see in both of the best teams in the league that maybe the Vikings can imitate or replicate. So was there anything about the Chiefs or 49ers that popped out to you? <laughs> Besides uh, Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, just get um, Pat Mahomes. 
yeah, if you plugged a Pat Mahomes into this team, we'd be Super Bowl champs. I mean, with oh, so here's how I'll here's how I'll I'll kind of uh, turn this conversation in the simple fact that this isn't how I would do it, but I understand the the Vikings themselves. They've built their structure of their offense to be that the run first outside zone scheme. So we know that that's what they're going to continue to do. So I do believe that there's some wrinkles that the 49ers run and the creativity that they do that I'd love to see the Vikings kind of bring back into their offense. A lot of the pre-snap motion. I know the Vikings ran some pre-snap motion and, and stuff like that, but the way they utilize the guy like Debo Samuel, I would love the Vikings to kind of find a player to do a little bit of that. It doesn't have to be as often and, and as much as what they do with Debo Samuel, but I think having a guy who can who can be a little bit more of a gadget style role and motion around your offense and that's quick twitch, um, maybe even does a little bit of a works in the return game. I think the Vikings could really utilize someone like that in in this kind of offense to pair with your two your two star receivers um, and Dalvin Cook just to help keep keep the defense on their toes when you run those those jet sweeps with the with it like a Debo Samuel. I'll keep using him as the example, but he runs the jet sweep. Not, not he's not getting the ball every single time, but he does. He he's getting the ball enough to where the defense has to respect it, so it it slows them down even just a, a hair. Even if you're going to run play action off of it, or if you're going to even hand the ball off, it gives you a little bit more of that room from the linebacker level, um, the defensive end level, because those guys have to respect the the motions and the and the kind of the trickery and misdirection that the offense is running. So that's kind of where I would love to see the Vikings get a little bit more creative with. At the same time, too, the last other part to me would be like a little bit of the RPO game that the 49ers implement with Jimmy Garoppolo. I, I would love to see the Vikings do a little bit more of that where, where they can, you know, put Kirk in the, in the um, shotgun, Dalvin Cook, fake handoff read. It doesn't even have to – he can hand it off too, but if the read's there and you, you have a guy running like a quick slant or something and and the linebackers are sucked up and it's open, that's an easy, you know, 10 plus yards most of the time. So I'd love to see the Vikings kind of implement a little bit of those styles from what we've seen from the 49ers. Um, I think out of the two teams, the 49ers are obviously the, the style of team the Vikings could really look to kind of resemble. So that that's kind of where well I'm at. Said. What about you, Matt? I don't think I can really add to that. Uh, <laughs> that's pretty much everything I guess I would take away from it. I know we've all had conversations about you know, all that window dressing, you know, you know, pre-snap. So um, that's a big thing that I want to see implemented this off season and into next season. But otherwise I'd say that, you know, Miles hit the nail on the head. How about you flip? Yeah, I, I agree with you. The innovation and the use of playmakers was just excellent on both sides of the ball. I just, you're watching that game, and before you even get to the players, it just seems like it's coaching at a different level. And Agreed. the one takeaway I do have that kind of applies to the Vikings, and, you know, we'll move forward with the podcast here, but it just, it was so apparent during that game that there were clear roles for the head coach and the coordinators. Like Andy Reid is an offensive coach. He's only coaching the offense. And the second his defense takes the field, I don't e- I'm not even sure he's doing anything. I think he's just like looking to throw the challenge flag if anything happens, because otherwise it's Steve Spagnolo calling all the plays, you know, making all the personnel decisions. And it's the same is true with the 49ers. Kyle Shanahan in charge of the offense, George Sala takes over when the defense steps on the field. So I think in terms of what Minnesota is doing now, both promoting Gary Kubiak to offensive coordinator and just the, the constant conversation that Vikings fans have had about Zimmer's influence in the offense, maybe it's time to just say, you know what? Zimmer has nothing to do with this offense, for better or for worse. He doesn't deserve any of the credit or any of the blame. He's focused on the defense, and we're not going to succeed here until we have a good counterpart on the offensive side of the ball. I think that's a good point, and I think too, Gary Kubiak's not a young, a young up and coming coach the way we saw 
um, from uh, Kubi, or not Kubiak Stefanski, what we saw from uh, John Day Filippo, um, even a little bit of Pat Shermer. We know that Zim had a hand in all of those offenses and making sure that they were running the way he wants them to. But I think with a Gary Kubiak, Kubiak can, because t- he's got more experience than, than Mike Zimmer does, he can tell Zimmer, hey, I got this. Let me deal with let me deal with the offense. You worry about the defense, and I think that's exactly what Zimmer wants, and that's probably for the best for this team. Can I add one more thing that I uh, that I took away from that KC game that I want to see implemented next year for the Vikings? It's just I don't want to say clock management, but just like Andy Reid and the way that he was so confident, like when he'd go for it on fourth down um, and in making those right aggressive calls in the right moment. I want to see us take a step next year and not be afraid to go for it on a fourth down near midfield and potentially lose and turn it over or go for it inside the goal line, you know, to score a touchdown instead of a field goal. Those are the types of things that I really want and need to see from this team next year. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I know there were times where they did go for it. So... Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I, I It's funny because it's Kubiak and Mike Zimmer. I don't see them being any more aggressive. Hopefully, there's some more creativity, but it seemed like Zimmer tried to get more aggressive this year. I think about the Dallas game where he was going for it on fourth down. I think yeah. about the Saints game where he was going for it at the end. Even I mean, I guess that was after that badass. The 49ers yeah. game was- the it was so game bad. was really bad, though. Yeah, like, like really. So bad. I don't know what, why. Sometimes they get more aggressive and they show that, and sometimes they don't. I mean, the 49ers kind of got conservative at times in the Super Bowl. There's something, there's inside information that the coaches are considering that maybe they shouldn't consider, or that's leaning them to be aggressive or conservative based on any given moment. Right. Like, I think Zimmer against the 49ers was worried about getting blown out. But to me, at the end of the day, that, that doesn't matter. You're in the playoffs. Like, if, if you have a chance to give, to give yourself – if you have an opportunity to give yourself a chance to get back in the game, especially that late in the game, you have to take it. Um, even if you're sacrificing an opportunity for the 49ers to beat you by 25 points or, you know, whatever the number is going to be, that doesn't matter at the end of the day. Like, it matters to try to get yourself into a position to win the football game, and you don't give yourself you lose those opportunities every time you punt the ball, especially when you're down in the fourth quarter. So that to me, that was I was just sitting there like scratching my head, like what? What's the point? Like we're go- like you're going to lose this game no matter what, Mike Zimmer. So if you're not willing to go down with a fight, then what's the point? I, I again, I think that's but on that, the offensive side of the ball. Into it. I, they just got solved, and we saw it all year when the offense got solved. They had yeah. nothing, no, no answers. answers. And you know, we talked about some young innovation and creativity needed when talking about the Super Bowl. Obviously. Our our dear friend and youngin Kevin Stefanski has left the building, and we were hoping that he would create a lot of that new energy that we feel is needed in the coaching staff. The Vikings have Kubiak as the OC now. They made some minor moves down the the coaching tree there. They made some interesting defensive coordinator moves, but it's pretty much status quo in the coaching staff. You know, I'm not sure where that innovation is going to come from at the coaching level. What I do know is that status quo is not going to cut it. The Vikings 8-8 eight and eight in 2018. 10-6, think that saved Mike Zimmer his job. But this fan base and this franchise is looking for a Super Bowl. And so if they go status quo with the coaches... Sure, you know, both the offensive and decent defensive systems worked. So that you can almost sell to me, but the only way you can sell upside with these coaches is if we have turnover 
on the roster, players that can deliver better results than the current players right now. What do you think about that, Matt? Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with you. Um, what what I'm kind of curious about as well is is when we go back to, you know, Gary Kubiak being the offensive coordinator, you brought it up, the lack of creativity um, that we probably are going to see this year. And I'm just, I'm just kind of wondering or, or waiting for them to kind of hire a passing coordinator. And I know it's not going to be the end, like something that just magically changes our whole offense. But I just wish that there'd be something in there for us to look forward to this year where, you know, if, if the running game gets solved, we can kind of lean on somebody with experience in the passing coordination. Oh, so you think that there could possibly be another hire on top of the moves they already made. That's really interesting. I'm hoping so. I don't think it's going to happen, but I, I'm with you, Matt. That's, I've been harping for that uh, all offseason. Let's get somebody in there just to kind of give you some fresh eyes and fresh, like, obviously this wasn't going to happen, but like the Bears brought in John DeFilippo. I, I believe as a passing game coordinator, he fits that bill really well. I thought his passing concepts when he was in Minnesota were, were done really well. I just don't him and Zimmer and that and the offensive style just didn't match. But I don't think that makes him a bad coach. Um, I think there's a lot of good that John De, John D. Filippo has um, as a as a coach, and I think that might help Chicago quite a bit. Um, I just would have liked to see Minnesota bring in a little bit of someone with a little bit of outside creativity just to freshen things up a little bit. But at the same time, there is something to be said for Kirk Cousins and. Um, the players within this offense to stay in the same scheme, the same play calling, the same verbiage back to back years. So then they can kind of build off of that. Um, this is where like they had their, con- they had their condensed playbook last year. The playbook grew as the year went on, but now you get to continue that playbook and continue to grow that playbook and take out things that didn't work, adjust to things that was, that did work, but freshen it up a little bit. Um, you hope that that's what they're doing. And- this offseason as they um, know that they're going to be running the same offense. But are we unhappy with the coaches or are we unhappy with the players? If you could only pick one. Oh, I, I mean, to me, it's, I mean, it, it's easy to say it's a little bit of both. Cause I think that's true. Honestly, no, I, I'd probably say because the, the, the franchise has made man, the call. I, I don't, I, you know, I don't know, they've said, hopefully they've yeah. said it's the players. I mean, if they keep, this coach is in place and they keep the same players in place. I'm going to lose my mind. Cause that to me says we're headed right back for eight and eight. Right. No, I, I you're right. You're probably right. I mean, I, I do think some of it is the players. Um, but is that one of those players, your quarterback? That's the question. You know what I mean? And that's not me saying that Kirk's a bad quarterback. I don't believe that at all. I think Kirk's a, a good quarterback, a, a, a actually pretty good quarterback, uh, above average quarterback in the league. And at times, you know, you saw some elite play from him, but so I don't, I don't know. Like we're in a, we're in a little bit of that, like true limbo of like, what's the, that's where I believe this off season is so crucial because there's so many key decisions that need to be made that will swing this, this franchise's momentum will swing the, the direction of this franchise for the next, you know, two to three to four years. So that, that's really where. I, we just don't know. Well, the quarterback is a player. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the most important one. What do you think, Matt? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you guys. Okay. Okay. Well, speaking of those players, because I mean, what I'm looking for is we need the turnover with the players. If we aren't satisfied, then we should be excited about roster turnover. And whether we're excited about it or not, here comes the roster turnover. We have no cap room. Yep. We've got 14 free agents and we've got a bunch of, you know, expiring contracts on older players. So just to start with the current free agent list, what, who are your priorities? Vikings free agents who are about to hit the market, who should be back in purple next year? Miles, do you want to start? Yeah, I can start. <laughs> um, I do think, well, for me, I don't think this is going to happen because it, 
everything that sounds coming out of uh, Vikings media is the fact that um, I believe Mackenzie Alexander would be a great, great guy to bring back. Um, for me, he'd be a priority. Uh, again, it doesn't sound like that's going to that's gonna happen. It sounds like he wants to test the market. Don't blame him. Go get as much as you can. But if if we're looking at the the defensive or the the defensive players that I believe should come back, McKenzie, based off the kind of the price of what nickel cornerbacks are are making on the market, he fits that bill perfectly because he's not too expensive. Like I, that's where I worry. Like I like Trey Wayne's. If the Vikings brought Trey Wayne's back at a decent price, I'd have no problem with it. But the issue is, I just I I wouldn't be willing to pay him ten ten plus million dollars a year because he's not a a lockdown number. He's not a number one cornerback. So to me, you shouldn't pay him like he is one. So I, but I would like to see them bring back one of the two, if 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 at all possible, and the price is right. Um, my this is an unpopular take, and it's not me saying that they shouldn't bring him back, but I just don't I don't think Anthony Harris should be back for the yeah. simple fact that paying him. 14 15 million dollars a year just isn't something this team should be doing to for a a safety that when you already are paying Harrison Smith you know 10 plus 13 you know 10 11 whatever his oh, number man. is uh, per year and he's probably due for an extension I have a hard time paying two safeties that much money in this defense when we've seen this defense can be elite with an with not I won't say anybody because this isn't true, but a, a safety that plays opposite Harrison oh, Smith. Wow, we, we've seen Anderson Dale play really well, and this defense be elite. We obviously seen Anthony Harris play at an elite level, and I think he's an elite player. So don't I, I don't want this to be taken as like a you don't like Anthony Harris, you don't think he's good. No, he's a great player. I don't think based off position priority. I think cornerback is a more important position to make sure you shore up than that position opposite Harrison Smith. That's a hot take. Now you can tear my head. You can you can tear my head off, Anthony. All right, flip about Anthony Harris. But I, <laughs> I, again, I, I would not I would not be upset at all if they re-signed him because I do think he's good. He's a, a great player. Over the last two years, we know that. Um, I just think they need a defensive tackle. I think, I think they need a corner. They at least one more cornerback from free agency, and probably another offensive lineman. And those are the probably the key positions, uh, not named safety uh, opposite Harrison. So, those are kind of the, that's kind of where I stand with it. If they bring him back, great. But that means you got That means you definitely have to probably get rid of someone like Linval Joseph, Everson Griffin. You know, like you're swapping out those contracts for an Anthony Harrison. If that's your plan, fine. But I, I think that they should be kind of going after a little bit of a like a, a lockdown cornerback to me, like a Chris Harris, uh, paying him of $13, $14 million for a couple of years, to me brings more value than paying Anthony Harris $14 million a year. I under, Again, I understand bringing him back would, would not be a bad thing. Matt, talk to us. I'm just, I'm just trying to take everything that Miles said in right now. Um, I've never heard him with that take yet. I mean, and I've talked to him quite a bit over the last couple of weeks, so that kind of surprised me. But after listening to him, I, I, I can't see your point that, uh, you know, corner is probably more of a a need for us at this point in time. And, and like you said, you know, we've seen this defense be elite with, with the likes of Anderson Deho back there. So, you know, maybe even he could come back um, coming next year if you, if you let Harris walk. Uh, but you kind of nailed it with with most people. Um, I share pretty much the same opinion. I do really want to see Dan Bailey back um, next year. Not sure what that would cost money wise. And I know some fans are kind of done with the Pat Elfline experiment. I think he's an affordable depth piece for us that I I would like to see back next year. Um, I know he's still got one year on his deal, but he's definitely someone for. You know, he he understands the offense. And there was, you know, a few weeks span this this season where he played pretty well, like him and everybody else on the offensive line. There's some things that they can obviously improve on. When you look at some potential cap casualties, though, the Griffin contract's got to go. Everybody knows that's almost a foregone conclusion at this point. 
And I think we have to say goodbye to Linval as well. Now, what those replacements are going to be, that's yet to be seen. But um, that's kind of where I'm standing at the current moment as well. Okay, we let's walk it back a little bit because somehow we just all agree that Anthony Harris <laughs> is leaving the building. No problem with it. I didn't say we didn't say problem. we have a problem with it. <laughs> I just said I, they definitely can't afford him right now, and I think that the the priorities. No, I'm take just over. trying to process this all because it was it was very well said, <laughs> and I think for one of the first times, I, you shut flip up. I got I got no counter for that. <laughs> yeah, like I'm wow, I'm actually I'm okay with it now. That. Okay, we'll just we'll walk at. Because it's a good hot take. It's a great hot take. And and it's very justifiable as well. And it's like, it's one of those positions where you're like Zimmer coach him up, you know, just like you coached up Andrew Sendejo, Co- coach him up. You coached up Anthony Harris. You, you turned him into a player. So do it with the next guy. Right. And you still have Harrison Smith like that. But to me, that's the key is you still, and he's still playing at a high level. So, like, if, if, if Harrison Smith was on a decline, if Harrison Smith was even maybe, you know, not even on this roster, bringing back Anthony Harris would, would be probably priority number one. But you still have an elite-level player in, in Harrison Smith. So I think that person opposite of him doesn't need to be an elite player. That, that doesn't mean that you, you don't want that, but it doesn't mean you need it compared to needing – elite level play at cornerback in this defense because we've seen how much man defense this team plays. So to me, that means I want those guys to be my key, my key players. No, I was just going to say for Anthony Harris's sake, you know, I, th- I think he's just a, a great player and I want to see him get paid. I don't think he'll get paid as much as he can if he stays here. So I've, I want to yeah, see him, I want right. to see him cash uh, in. Well, Anthony Harris is number one on my list. I'm now crossing him off, which, which, which moves uh, number one on my list is now Dan Bailey. Number two is Br- yeah. Number I mean, one? I got I got Harris, Bailey, and Colquitt here. Just spend all the money on Ant Man. <laughs> but you changed my you changed my mind. You changed my mind. Uh, I love uh, it. Mac all right. Alexander. I do want to ask if he's going to be in camp 100% healthy. I don't know much about the injury. It's a very sad situation with him playing in week 17 and tearing his meniscus. He got surgery in January. So I don't know how that projects him for 2020. If he's going to be looked at in free agency as a guy who's going to be 100% healthy or if he's going to get a decreased contract because of that, a, a, a fear of that knee. He might, he might get less money, but I, I mean, I'm not a doctor, but everything I've, you've seen on most meniscus tears, that's usually like a four month, pro, three to four month process. That, and that's, that's the like high end, I think, but I think he got the trim. It sounded like there was a possibility that he could have potentially come back. I know they ended up putting him on IR anyways because they needed the roster space, but I think there was talk that he his might have been the short-term deal of the meniscus. I'm not 100% sure anymore. Maybe because they put him on IR, he decided to go with the full, the, the full cut. I don't know. Um, but a meniscus obviously isn't the same extent of a of a um, an injury as a an ACL tear. See, Miles just carrying the team. He's researching types of knee surgeries, <laughs> whether it's a trim or I don't even know what the other types are. But he only knows that because of the AP stuff a few years back. <laughs> There's a f- I, yeah. <laughs> well, so I think we've summarized the the top free agents that need attention as we start. Free agency starts mid-March, so we'll start hearing about where these contracts are going to go. I think franchise tag and transition tag designation start at the end of this month, end of February. Hopefully, we start to hear some news pretty soon. Uh, But Matt, you did start talking about 
how to make some cap space for these players. And we've got, I, I think everybody settled on four veterans on, on long-term deals on the last year of their deal where cap can be saved. Can we, we can make the room needed to have on a, hopefully a somewhat normal off season. So again, I've got my priorities here, but I want to start with you, Matt. Do you, do you have anything to add on just, you know, you mentioned a few of the different guys, but who's your number one, you know, definitely let's save cap room here and go from there. You mean like who I want to cut? Yeah. Um, well, obviously I think the, the most obvious one is Everson Griffin, though he had a good year. Uh, you just can't bring him back at that salary. Um, I know a lot of people want to see some restructures with Hunter uh, and Diggs and Thielen. I think, I don't think that that won't happen. I, I'm sure they'll be approached, but I feel like maybe a Harrison Smith extension actually would be a better solution to kind of gaining some more cap. Um, and then just to kind of circle back, the easy ones are, are Rhodes and Linval. You know, you're going to free up a lot of cap space there. The only one I, am really questioning is the Riley Reef one because he's I, he's a middle of the road left tackle and I think he's serviceable. Granted, his his cap hits a little high, but you know you're just going to completely get rid of him. And then what are you going to do on the left side? So that's kind of where I stand with gaining some money. Okay, how about you, Miles? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much in lockstep with Matt. I think just because of his contract and the dead cap. Everson's the the easiest option, eight hundred thousand dollar dead cap to free up thirteen point one million. Uh, it just makes, especially when you're this far over the the cap, um, heading into the new league year. Um, and that and to me that doesn't mean that they can't try to re-sign him back, but I believe that because because I think his contract becomes guaranteed or fully guaranteed like the third day of the new league year or something like that. Um, I think Linval's in that same boat, and I think. Uh, I'm, I'm sure there's something in there with within Xavier's contract as well. So um, you're going to probably see a lot more movement with those guys right away with free agency because because of their um, the guarantees in their contracts when they come by the when the new league year starts. So you got to make sure that you know when the combine starts, the Vikings are going to be approaching a lot of these these agents and talking to them about about these restructures, about cutting these guys, or or however they're going to do it. This is all going to be discussed in late February, early to mid-March. And I think we'll probably see some of this stuff a little bit earlier. And I do believe like a, a guy like Linval or Everson, if the Vikings don't intend or don't think they can bring these guys back after if they were to cut them, they might decide to do it earlier just so that that gives those guys an opportunity to hit the market before. Um, because I think if, um, I, I, I think, don't quote me on this, but I think the service that they've, They've had the amount of time they've played in the NFL. If they were cut now, they should be able to hit the market without having to um, wait until the new league years start. Um, I'm, I could be wrong on that, but that could be something we see the Vikings do to kind of do them a favor, just because of all the work that they've done for the, you know, for the team. If they were to cut these guys early, I have no idea if that's going to happen, but that's just something that 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 could be a possibility. Just kind of like what the Carolina Panthers did with Greg Olson, they kind of did them a solid. And he's a free agent now. He gets to, gets to go take visits and can can likely sign with the team now, uh, rather than have to do it when the new league year starts in March. So that could be something we we might possibly see the Vikings do with one of those guys. Yeah, understood. And I th- and we're all on the same page with Xavier. I mean, he's got to go. It's time. I didn't even look up a unfortunately. I, I yeah, didn't look I up a single number to justify it. You know, I could have looked up his his passer rating against or his PFF grade. That's not even necessary. It's he's just got to go. Linval, I yeah, that, that, the eight million you can get back from Rhodes, you could sign a cornerback that's better than Rhodes mm-hmm. with that money. Mm-hmm. At, At this, this point, point yeah, yeah for hopefully like a, a five million dollar number, a six million dollar number. Right. Linval, just a down yep. year at the wrong time. And, you know, he's been awesome here in Minnesota. 
been in front of some young guys who haven't progressed as we've seen, as we would have liked. It's time for Patterson and Zimmer to coach him up. Linval, I, I hope he finds, you know, maybe he'll stay. I mean, he is a team captain, and I want to touch on that a little bit, but I just think that we need to be realistic about his chances to bounce back from where he is right now. And if we don't think that he still has upside as a defensive tackle, then it's probably time on him too. And again, these are decisions being made knowing the, the fact that we've got to make some cap room. We've talked about it on the messaging a little bit. I just completely disagree that Everson Griffin shouldn't be on this team next year if we want to bring him back to the table and restructure him fine but I even think that is a stretch because if I have 12 million dollars to spend in free agency I'm going to spend it on a guy who had the type of year Everson Griffin had last season I, he was still very productive and if we're just trying to create cap room for the sake of creating cap room. Sure, he's got the biggest upside to do that. But if we're trying to construct a team with good players on it, Everson's still a good player. And I would cut Riley Reef way ahead of him. Maybe I'd cut Riley Reef even before Linval Joseph. See, that doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> that we go back to the position position value and Left tackle is more important than edge def- edge rush and no, especially nose tackle. Like you can make an argument with me about Everson and Riley, but you have at least guys in the building that have an opportunity to replace Everson Griffin. Not that they're better or going to be better than him, but guys that we've seen that have potential to be good. We have you don't know who could play left tackle for this team that's better than Riley Reef, and to me that's. That's not a risk I'm willing to take unless you know that you can sign somebody in free agency and then cut Riley, Riley Reef. That's fine. But again, for me, for Everson, it's not about cutting him just to cut him. It's the fact that his contract becomes guaranteed when you have a guy that makes $13.1 million that you can get that money back and then you could reinvest that into multiple positions while still having a guy like Afadio Denebo and likely a draft pick or a, a cheap free agent to help fill that rotation. It's not about letting him go. Beca- and we know he's good. I do believe out of the, the names you said, uh, Flip, the Linval, Xavier, um, those, those key guys right there, he's obviously the best one. But his cap situation, his contract situation, it just doesn't bode well. It's more of, a, it's more of that straight business decision rather than it is like just the fact that he's a good player, but his contract with where they are in the cap situation, it just makes sense to to cut him. And that doesn't mean you can't re-sign him, but you, you probably just can't justify paying I, him that much money right now at this stage of the, of the game. Well, I, I, dis, I mean, Everest, the business decision is to keep Everson because he, knowing what he's done here, knowing what he's so capable of, is going to give you a better return on that $13 million than three free agents that you can find on the open market. So that's really the bet here is I'm willing to put that money in Everson because I know he's good and I don't need, if I really need the potential of finding other players who might be good, then I'm going to do that with players who have clearly fallen off like a Xavier, like a Linval. Reef, I just... Reef to me is just a microcosm of the entire Vikings, you know, four year run. We talk about how, you know, there was this narrative that Kirk struggles on the big stage. That is Riley Reef. He's great against good competition, but every big matchup he goes into, he just gets destroyed. You, you, you think about the Bills game last year where he completely fell apart. He allows a bunch of pressures against Green Bay. Both times this year, and those are two games where the offense struggles, and those are the games that we're looking to improve on and win. Uh, he's he's allowing four pressures against Chicago. He allowed six pressures in the game against 49ers. Every time we're in a big moment against a tough defensive line, 
Reef is the guy who's not punching above his weight or even at his weight. He's the matchup that you hope you can win that you always lose. And that's why I think, you know, we need some new blood there because he's just so status quo to me. saying that we don't need an upgrade at left tackle. Uh, but when you're like comparing the Riley Reef and the Everson Griffin contracts, if you get rid of Everson Griffin, you free up $13 million and you have replacements who, like Miles said, they're not going to be Everson Griffin's level, but you have replacements to come up. If you get rid of Riley Reef, what do you have? Like who's coming up? Right. Obviously you have, and, you know, right. yeah. you have yeah, go ahead. Ole Udo who looked promising, but you're not going to throw him out at left tackle. Rashad Hills played fine last year, but you're not going to throw him out at left tackle. And so while I agree with you that Riley Reef sometimes falters on the big stage, he's still a serviceable left tackle. And until you have a replacement, I don't think you can cut him. And because and, his contract yeah. isn't guaranteed, um, like Everson's is, it makes it a lot easier to keep him around until you get that replacement. I get it. I just I think you draft a tackle in the first or second round and save the nine million you get from Riley Reef, and that that tackle is going to be just fine at replacing Reef with some upside. But you can't you can't go into the draft with Reef already cut. Like if you're if you're telling me the Vikings get through the free agents, do all this, they go to the draft, and in the first round, they find their left tackle of the future, and that guy is ready to play right away. Fine, cut Riley Reef. I have no issue with that. But you can't cut Riley Reef first and then say, oh, one of the most important positions on our entire offense, uh, we, we're going to try to address in, in, at the 25th pick in the draft when we have no idea who's going to be there, if the guy that we even like is going to be there. So, like, that's that's like we talk like we talk flip and I I know you talk a lot too of like getting rid of players but what's the plan to replace mm-hmm. those players and I agree with you on Everson to an to a degree he's not easy to replace we know that Linval is not easy to replace but there are guys on the team that at least can help fill the gap right to replace them Riley Reef there is nobody to fill that gap right now without dipping into free agency or the draft and again the draft should not you shouldn't go into the draft with any major needs good teams at least i mean that's not realistic but at the same time for the most part you would ideally would go into the draft without any major needs so that you can take the best player available with your pick yeah and the question is is having that flexibility in the draft worth you know possibly paying an overrated left tackle his full 12 million dollar cap this year. I don't, it's a it's a really good conversation. I mean, that's it's there's no clear-cut answer here, but another thing with the offense and with Reef is there is a large contingent of Vikings fans that have stated we just need a better offensive line. We deal with this argument every year for the last, I don't know, nine, maybe nine years, at least five years. And just it's like 20, it's like every year yeah. people are like, just fix the offensive line. And so, okay, let's say that's your plan to fix the offense, to improve the offense is just fixing the offensive line. So O'Neal's not going anywhere. Bradbury's still developing. Klein has been plug and play. If you're going to keep Riley Reef too, that means that your plan to improve the offensive line and therefore improve the entire offense is to just replace Pat Elfline and we'll be great. Like, no, no, we need more than that. That would help, though. It would help. It would help, but that that person would likely need to be like a Joe Thune. Or uh, Brandon Sheriff, Sheriff, or whatever, however you say his name. Like you need that level to like make it that much of an impact to matter. Otherwise, you're just looking at another replacement level player to that's better right. than Elfline. Um, so like, so like it it all goes down to like what you're willing to pay, um, how much of an impact, or how like how good that left guard is going to be, 
in comparison because yes, that left guard like a Joe Thune makes Riley Reef makes Garrett Bradbury better because he's really good at his job on the offensive line in between those guys. So he helps them out because he's better. Pat Elfline didn't help anybody out. So then therefore those, especially a Bradbury who needs, who needs the help and they need the opportunity to kind of grow and get better. And I think Bradbury has got an opportunity to be a good center, but I think if you were to give him a, a veteran left guard, that at least would help him. It doesn't, mm-hmm. I'm not saying they should go out and spend that, but I'm, I'm saying, I think if you, you need that kind of level of impact to make it truly like, quote unquote, worth it. Yeah. And just overall, yeah, sure. You know, replace Pat Elfline. That will help. But that should probably also be complemented by getting another playmaker, by doing what the Panthers did a couple yeah. of years ago in the draft, yeah. get you a Curtis Samuel and a, and a DJ Moore. Those types of things where it's not just, okay, let's fix the offensive line. Let's fix one player and we'll be good. So either you get serious about looking for upside on the offensive line or you do what you can there and then add some pop, some sizzle elsewhere on the offense. Agree. It's going to be a big offseason for sure. Yes, it is. May not be but a we'll, lot of we'll moves. Know what, we'll, know. we'll know the direction they want to go yep. based on that. Real quick, real quick with these cap hits. And it's going to be exciting. I'm glad we were able to get together. Thank you so much, Matt and Miles, for hopping on to talk with me. Where are y'all watching week one of the XFL season? Matt? Um, I actually will be at a retreat this weekend, so I will not be watching the games, unfortunately. The off season. Here it is. How about you, Miles? Yeah, I'm going to be out of town on, on Saturday, too. So. <laughs> Uh, is their the Saturday, right? I, I don't even remember. Viewership is dropping. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I'll probably try to watch it. I'll be a, I'll be a family, so I'll, I'll probably be able to watch some of it, but um, I'm, I'm not really like going to stop what I'm trying to do to watch it. <laughs> yeah, well, I have no plans to watch it at all. So three for three, I hope roughnecks or whatever they're called i don't even know what the la team is your diehard i hope they do (laughs) die (laughs) die hard well like i said that is the rundown we went through the super bowl the new vikings coach structure the current free agents some cap casualties to discuss how are we going to make this team better for 2020 reach the ultimate goal win a super bowl i hope this is a good start We'll get around to doing some more podcasts here, get back in the swing of things after Matt gets back from his retreat, after Miles makes the family happy. We'll get back to it. Hopefully there will be some new news to report on some of these roster moves. And until next time, y'all, enjoy the offseason and Skull Vikings. 